All right. Got the first thing going. Let's see here. Waiting for some people to join. Waiting. All right, how's everybody doing tonight? this figured out and uh, we'll have some good conversation. All right, can I take the next caller? Hey, what's happening? Can you hear me? Can you hear me, caller? Yes, see you there? Yep, yep. All right, we got it to work. <laughs> All right, good, yeah. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. I know I drug you through some stuff doing that but uh, uh i think it's important yeah we got it figured out that's good i uh i think this will be fun so do you have anything in particular you were interested in discussing uh well you know we have so much uh going on uh you know why don't you tell me about uh anything you want to discuss you've got a lot of good points uh that you've raised on your channel before. So uh, anything that's on the top of your mind? Yeah, sure. Well, just in general, there's a couple things as a baseline that are useful to think about. First, people, especially the wealthy and the powerful, conspire all the time. So if you have that understanding of the reality and then you combine it with, say, CIA black box budgets, which are indisputable, you just put those two things together and it's really obvious that you may not know the details, but things are happening all around us in terms of planning and execution. And it may not be mysterious or even that nefarious, but with that understanding of conspiracy, they're really all around us. It's just people getting together and talking and making things happen. 
And I think we see that quite a bit, um, especially when information is not released as it should be or it's incomplete and people are always out for their own best interest, uh, especially where there's money or power that's available to them. And so that kind of conceptual framework, that kind of mindset, a skeptical mindset, a mindset of looking at things from a cynical point of view and having this idea that people are out for themselves, they're going to get together with the like-minded, pursue money and power very frequently, especially if they don't have a religious impulse or their religion is their self and self-worship, then that opens up a way of seeing the world that I think is helpful. Uh, Hopeless? Well, there's always hope if you're a Christian, I think. (laughs) Well, well, clearly, but, uh, you know, uh, before that, though, I mean, uh, hopeless is, is, it's kind of an end point, you know, uh, hopeless hope. You know, uh, once hope is gone, you know, uh, when Pandora opened her box after all the tragedies, that was the only thing that was left, you know. So if we are beyond hope, then that sounds pretty tragic, you know. Well, it's especially tragic if you don't have a, a worldview that is in some way spiritual if your hope is in the material or your hope is in what you can do in this life then that'll end in tears because just about every career and every life ends in some measure of failure especially if you're not looking to something beyond because we're all gonna pass away and people don't like to think about that but i think it helps focus and concentrate your mind in the here and now sure yeah i definitely get that so so where are we going with this well i'm actually writing something now that i'll put on our favorite uh message boards that we probably don't need to mention uh and and so specifically one thing that i'm i'm i like to think about is you know, what is the paranormal? What does that mean? And how does it interact with us now? So in my kind of worldview, you have the supernatural, which is capital S, supernatural. That's God only. That's right. The tri- that's the triune God. You have the natural, which is spiritual creations that are mostly not... Uh, material, even though I think they can come into the material world. So angels and demons, but we have to also understand at the same time that angel and demon is uh, more of a job description and less a category of being. So Satan means accuser and angel means messenger. So Satan actually is capital S, which is uh, Lucifer, uh, the head of the fallen and also small s because you have many accusers uh satan meaning accuser angel meaning messenger in the in the original languages uh Mm -hmm. mostly mostly hebrew so so the preternatural obviously includes messengers and fallen messengers and other types of, of entities that are related. And we know the seven categories or the, the, the choirs of angels in, in the Bible that are listed. Um, but it's not necessarily just that it's things that we don't understand. And so the preternatural might include things that we would see as Bigfoot or fairies or gnomes. These could be trickster entities and they're they're coming into our material world. This is how we experience them in our subjectivity, our cultural view, whatever our culture culture is. And these trickster entities may be some measure of good or some measure of bad. We can't really know that, but it'd be under the umbrella here of the preternatural. I think that could explain aliens, for example. Um, and that doesn't mean that 
a creation like us doesn't exist in another galaxy, I, I don't know. But I think it has some explanatory power if you have this kind of view of the preternatural. And so then in addition to the preternatural, you would have a type of that which can come into the material world and maybe all around us. And some of this is, you know, pretty human. Um, so, for example, I believe that when we die... Uh, and this is following a Catholic, uh, Marianne Winkowski, who has a book, When Ghosts Speak, that I think is really good. I think that when we die, we have our spirit that continues. And for a set amount of time, it can be on the earth. I don't know how long that is. She says it's about 48 hours. And this spirit can, our spirit, can cross the white light and face the judgment uh, listen, or uh, it can stay. This is good stuff. And, and Jonathan, why have you not created your own channel on this thing, man? This, <laughs> you've got a lot to say. Why have you not done that? Uh, well, uh, there, <laughs> it's, it's being written. I just got to, maybe I got to verbalize it first. Um, I mean, I think that's uh, a, you, you're definitely a good speaker. Uh, it's, I'd, I'd love to have you on this channel and, and invite other people to uh you know uh have their say against what you're saying because uh i'm a believer i get it i, yeah. I understand it. Yeah. but you know but i don't think that uh i'm your audience i think that you're looking to to reach other people but uh you know i mean if, if the if you want to be a speaker on this board i'm happy to facilitate it and, uh, you know, I think we can get a massive audience based on your knowledge and stuff like that, you know? Well, so. it's, uh, it's all speculation and it's, it's, it's fun speculation. It, it there's, there's a lot behind it though. It, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what matters is content and you got a lot of content, you know, you got a lot to say. So there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a little bit too much content. No, uh, no, there's never too much content. You know, uh, in, in every interaction that I've had with you, um, you, you've always got something to back up, you know, whatever you say. And, and, you know, you're kind of all over the place sometimes, but I respect that. Um, but, uh, as far as, you know, eschatology and, and everything and, and religion, you definitely seem to know where you're coming from. And I think you can defend it, um, beyond, you know, you know, we're going to have trolls come onto this channel and we're going to have, uh, you know, people who are, just speaking out and stuff like that. But the good thing is, is that, uh, you know, I'm the moderator of this channel and I can mute them, you know, which in my other channel experiences, I've tried to get things across to people and I don't have the ability to, to say, okay, we're going to move on to the next caller. So, um, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, you joined this channel and I hope it can be something great, which, uh, you've got, you've definitely got content and I've, um, if if I don't, you know, if you don't mind me tooting my own horn, um, I've got the personality, I've got the skills to keep people engaged. So, you know, I think it's right. going to be something great. Yeah, well, we'll we'll set some topics and and we can we can definitely do that. I think that uh, a good kind of first way to, you know, think through things is these big picture you know, abstract kind of concepts and defining terms. And, you know, that's, that's always helpful to define terms. Um, and, you know, in terms of what words mean, like ghost and spirit and things like that, uh, you know, it really has some explanatory power that might be helpful. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, we, we've got to definitely do this, uh, Colin thing. And, uh, I think we're both going to have a great time. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, coming on here. I'm not sure. Uh, let me, I might have to change the rules, uh, cause for my intentions for this channel was just to be a discord thing. Um, but I think it, I think that it needs to be a global thing where people can join and discuss. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's good to uh, to have conversations. That's really important, and we can set topics and invite people and make it work. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Um, 
So what do you think? Uh, do you want to continue to talk or do you want to? Well, uh, I think uh, setting, I, I know you said you setting, had your kids uh, crying in the background. But. <laughs> well, the, the, we, we got a we got a maniac or two. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, setting topics is is a good way to uh, kind of organize things and and we'll, uh, you know, proceed forward and, and have fun. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm particularly interested in, as I know you are in, you know, religion and that touches on the supernatural and the preternatural and, you know, mystery. So yeah, it'll be good. I think so. Uh, if, if you're ready to go, that's, that's fine, but I'd love to discuss more if you've got the time. Yeah. Uh, is there a particular uh, topic that you had uh, an interest in? Um, let's see here. Well, you know, we, uh, the mysterious world. I, w- I always love Jimmy Aiken. You know, thank you for, uh, referring me to him. Um, I think, uh, one of the mo- more controversial things that I was listening to that he spoke about was praying through time. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah. And, and what's your thoughts on that? Well, the the fundamental uh, premise that he had, I think, is really sound, which is that God's outside of time. And so if we pray for someone in the past, God's foreknowledge or however we want to phrase knowledge of someone who's a deity outside of our understanding of time, then it's a really easy understanding of the deity outside of time can apply that with our uh, cooperation in prayer. So for Catholics, for example, we would cooperate with God's grace, God's desire to give grace to someone that we may pray for. And it would make sense, his explanation, that being outside of time, you can have that application. Okay, so outside of time, because we're praying to God, and he can take care of things. So how, in the nature of of prayer is basically um, the historical thing of call and response, just like music. And that's why music is important in religion is because it's a call from us and then a response from either another human being or a godly power. So that's why song is so important because it's a call and response, right? Do you understand what I mean by yeah, calling? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I I think that it's definitely a, a call, and then God can respond, or sometimes he he doesn't respond. In the apostolic, which is Catholic and Orthodox uh, understanding, just to generalize, we would cooperate by being proactive, which would mean receiving the sacraments with God's desire to save all, to advance us spiritually, and so on. But because we have freedom, God respects human freedom, and there's no coercion, so we have to meet him, we have to cooperate. And when we're praying for someone, it's a similar concept. And God can take our desire and meet us and and give those those graces that doesn't mean that prayer is required for god to give us his graces i mean obviously that's i don't think that's the case there's a lot of examples where it's not the case but the acts of faith are prayer receiving the sacraments and then god works with his grace in our acts of faith which would include prayer right okay so uh so what would you say about um uh, you know catholics versus uh non-catholics like uh why would catholics have the right version of the word not not really right but 
as a as a Catholic, why do the uh, you know I, I was raised a Catholic and I'm no longer a Catholic, but you know they have several procedures and everything else like that. What what value is that in a religion? The, the most important, well, I, I use the term apostolic, which is Catholic and Orthodox because of the liturgy and because of the sacraments. And I think big picture first, that's how God best relates to us is physical means of the spiritual graces received and, and the graces come through the conduit of the sacraments. Now, I'm not saying it's exclusively through the sacraments, but I think that is the means that Christ instituted in 33 AD. And ours is a historical religion, and it makes really large historical claims. It's rooted in a particular time and in a particular place. So with a sacramental understanding, I think that has a lot, which is apostolic in the Catholic and in the Orthodox tradition, uh, 2,000 years of it. And I think that that particular means of worship has a lot of explanatory power, a lot. And that includes creation, that includes Jerusalem and Adam and all sorts of mysterious things, including the sacraments before the sacraments, you know, manna from heaven, um, that we can understand really well in the context of the sacraments. So the one word answer to your question would be sacraments. Okay, I got it. I understand. Uh, so as an Iranian, uh, how did you come to be a Catholic? Well, my, in- my, grand, my grandmother was from Aleppo, Syria. So uh, it's oh, not I'm that sorry, far. I'm sorry. Yeah, not, I, yeah, not, yeah, really, really, Syria. really close. Yeah, so I, I identify with the, uh, with the Arab uh, peoples. And uh, that's uh, a question that uh, I tend to think about in the context of uh, preterism, which is P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M. Are you familiar with that way of uh, viewing the world? Right. Uh, And so my father was a Southern Baptist uh, deacon, and I was raised, you know, with Hal Lindsey, late great. And and, that was the world view uh, of Revelation, for example. And when I was 10, 11, 12, I was thinking, that doesn't really seem right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, in my teenage years, I kind of had the understanding that the Bible's not the Word of God. Uh, the Bible's not like the Koran. Jesus Christ is literally the Word of God. The capital W word. It's Jesus is the word, not the Did Bible. In, 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 or, I mean, like, uh, is that, uh, what is your experience with the Quran? Well, I've, I've read bits and pieces of it, but the reason I brought up the Quran is because the Muslim understanding of the Quran is that it's the word of God. It's from God's mouth to Muhammad's pen. Okay. Or the followers of Muhammad, and they were writing it down from God. It's the word of God. In the apostolic understanding, the Bible is a holy product of four centuries of debate. God is working through the church. The church came first. And so preterism is a Protestant way of viewing the book of Revelation, which is really focused on the first century and on 70 AD. It puts you in when, when Titus destroyed the temple. So it, it puts you in this mindset of the history. How did the first and second and third and fourth century Christians understand, say, the gospel of uh, Matthew when Jesus is talking about the end of the world. What what does that mean? Well, if your temple is destroyed, that is the end of the world. That was a total massacre in Jerusalem. It was really bad, really, really bad. And 
if you think about what the temple meant, that was truly the end of the world. That was a massive judgment in 70, the first Jewish war, which was 68 to 70. And Jesus, I believe that he died on uh, April 3rd, 33 AD. So we're talking 31, 32, 33 AD. Jesus is looking towards 70 and saying, no stone will be left unturned. You know, all all of those Mm -hmm. uh, sayings, especially in Matthew, that are really uh, harsh. And we have a mindset there of, of fright that the it's pretty clearly conveyed among Jesus's followers. So preterism says, yeah, that was the end of the world. And it, and it was, and then the apostolic would come, um, especially after Pentecost when the church was founded and they would say, okay, what is the temple? Well, the temple is the body, right? Who is the priest? Well, I think that, I, think that uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think that other people will disagree that temple is not the body. You know, I mean, I especially, you know, coming from a Catholic, I think that that's almost heretical. Well, the the understanding lines up, you know, point by point. Um, you know, Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and this is all in the Catechism. Uh, well, of the Catholic Church. Yeah, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, the Eucharist, manna from heaven. Uh, no, the first, wait, yeah. Let's 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 go back to the. Um, and I'm I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, That's fine. I just uh, you 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 said Mary is the Ark of the Covenant, and I think that um, in typical. Christian, you know, uh, mythology, if you want to say mythology, typical Christian, Christianity is based on the old book, which the Ark of the Covenant was not a person. It was a, a physical structure. Right. Which contained the rod of Aaron, right? right. So how could you, it, does Mary contain the rod of Aaron? And if she does not, then I don't think that holds water. Well, the, the the, the point here is sacramental and that the Old Testament points to the New Testament. The whole point of the Old Testament is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament's about in right, this, yeah. in this ap- apostolic yeah, understanding. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so you can take all of the figures that are really essential in the Old Testament, and there's a New Testament understanding of them. So that's the understanding of Mary as the Ark. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of incredible Catholic and, and Orthodox writing on that. The understanding of Adam is the first man. Well, Adam is not the first hominid. We've had humans and hominids, various type of humans, on the earth for hundreds of thousands of years. Well, that was clear when uh, Cain was cast out and found his wife. But um, let me let me just give a second. And uh, hey, Dylan, I see you listening. Don't don't be afraid to join in the conversation. So uh, if you want to call in, please call in and and let's jump in. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to go too hardcore in on this. It's just the the point of the Old Testament is is literally Jesus Christ himself. And so Adam, for example, in my worldview here, is the founder of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ was was crucified over Adam's skull. Now, I'm, I'm right, not going to... But I think uh, what... Uh, I know you uh, kind of understand the apocryphal texts, right? Uh, I, far there. from an expert. Far. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't think anybody's really an expert on the apocryphal texts uh, because the Council of Nicena, or Nicaea um, eliminated a lot of uh, books. But uh, what I think, uh, and I don't mean to step on your toes here, but what I want to kind of talk about as a host is uh, the uh, the concept of Lilith. Uh, I think we may have discussed this before, but uh, uh, the concept of Lilith was that before Eve was created, Lilith was created. And she was created uh, just out of the dirt, just like Adam. 
And so Adam was created out of dust and Lilith was created out of dust. And they had some time together in the Garden of Eden. And then uh, according to apocryphal text, Lilith said, I'm not going to bow down to you, man. I'm not going to be subjected to to you. So I refuse to submit. And she went and she laid um, by the riverside and had sex with uh, other otherworldly beings out there like demons, I guess you would say. Right. And so she gave rise to um, Astaroth and Azazel and other other demons. Yeah. She was with them other demons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you have uh, do you personally have uh, a kind of a, a, a view of the reality of that? Do you think it's just a story or does it point to something that really happened? Um, I think it's just like a lot of the Old Testament. That's a, it's an origins, right? Like everybody needs to know why they're tempted to be knowing wrong. Everybody knows why their babies are stillborn, and that's because of Lilith. You know, like every, and it, so in the past, people wanted answers for why their babies weren't doing well, and people wanted answers for why shit was happening, and so the Old Testament gave them reasons for that you know i mean just like uh you know and that's why it was it was a way to explain things that weren't that were happening in the world that humans couldn't understand yeah i i i definitely agree with you on that i think the old testament uh functions on multiple levels it's real history it's myth it's sacramental understanding pointing to the new testament it is poetry it's a lot of things at once and some of the best poetry ever i'm just gonna yeah yeah absolutely yeah of course and and with regard to this larger point here about you know elohims and the sacraments and you know kind of trying to understand things i think it's helpful to have a mindset that you know we can have myths um, and there's the, the flood myth, you know, is, is global and it's cross-cultural. And a lot of that is rooted in a reality and things can be true myths, meaning that we put on our cultural baggage onto a true story and their subjectivity because, you know, we can't really understand a lot of these incredible things that have happened in the past. And so you have layers and layers that are buried um, and then there's a, a, a historical reality underneath it. And I think that that is, is helpful to understanding the New Testament in general. But we also at the same time have to understand that Lilith or, you know, all of these other things um, may be rooted in lies of real trickster entities, real Elohims that are fallen and interacted with humans. And I know that I've given the reference before of uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich, who's uh, a Catholic on her way to sainthood, a German nun from the 19th century. And I would recommend um, her her works, and she didn't write. Uh, She was transcribed by a man who had a a problematic life and then, you know, came to holiness partly because of her example. And she has visions of how the earth started. And, you know, obviously they're subjective and, you know, there's all kinds of caveats that you could put on it. But she talks, for example, about Joseph in Egypt and how Joseph became a myth and then eventually got morphed, and he was a real person there in Egypt, and he had a wife that was actually a relative, Antoneth, and those two were holy, but over the centuries, they had myth piled on, and they became Egyptian deities, and I think that sort of thing is common. So uh, what, what deities did they become? 
I, I'd have to I'd have to go back into the text, and specifically, this is the Life of Jesus Christ, Volume One. I would recommend Tan Books, T A N B O O K S. Uh, I think dot com, and they have uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich and her visions. And I'm I'm a personal believer in her in her visions, with the caveat again that they're her subjective experiences. Um, so to answer your question, I'd have to go back into the reference, but. You know, when you when you read the Old Testament, it's helpful to have an understanding of, you know, this is real history and a lot of other things, including myth. Um, yeah, so I think we need to discuss, like, what, how does something go from history to myth? Like, it seems like a lot of things in the past are ascribed to myth, but they're actual history, you know, and other things that are actual history or, uh, you know, uh, that we consider actual history are actually myth, you know, like Ben Franklin flying a kite in the sky with the key. That's a myth, you know, but we were taught it as history. So how can we discern myth from history? I, I think it seems difficult. Well, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien um, has uh, some good essays about true myths. and. I think that myths as a type of story really are helpful because humans understand themselves and they understand other people oftentimes through story. And obviously Jesus used parables. So I do think that myths have a really essential function in our, in our evolution and in our survival, um, you know, because it allowed us to form groups, you know, that kind of communication and, and avoid the wolves. But, um, you know, my particular fascination uh, is related to your question, which is, you know, how can we take some of these incredible things we think about and apply them to our lives if they are rooted in something real? So how would you, I mean, clearly all myth is rooted in something real, right? But how do we discern that? Like, I think that's an important question. Yeah, with, this is where I would come back to the church. This is where, you know, I would advocate for people to convert to either Catholicism or Orthodoxy because the church fathers have a lot of explanatory power and they also directly address your question. Um, I think, but as we, as we've shared before, there's some common myth, um, and that is not, that's not only the, uh, purview of the, of Catholicism, which is, um, Isaac and Sarah, right? Uh, I'm sorry, not Isaac, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, Abraham, uh, had a concubine and he, laid with her and he and ishmael was born right in in the text yeah uh, okay so in the text uh yes okay so we'll proceed with that um so what happened is that uh abraham laid with isaac with the concubine and he produced ishmael his firstborn son then um god came to sarah his wife and said, hey, I'm going to give you a kid. And that produced Isaac. And Isaac and Ishmael are the the differentiating points between Christians and Muslims. Well, with regard to Islam, I think <laughs> I, I, I would recommend a, a book called The Hidden Origins of Islam, which is an academic book first printed in Germany and then Prometheus Press printed it in here in English. And I, I, I wouldn't make that connection. I think that uh, I think that Islam is a really separate uh, thing from the Old Testament. Well, no, it's it's not really separate. They 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 draw their lineage from Ishmael, and, right? And Christians draw their lineage from Isaac, where uh, you know Abraham was promised the world, 
right? Like he said, um, well, not the world, but everything he could see on that mountaintop. He said, all this will be given to you. So that's quite an inheritance, you know? And so the Muslims claim that that inheritance belongs to Ishmael, who is the firstborn son of Abraham. But the Christians claim that no, that belongs to Isaac, the firstborn son of a legitimate marriage, the legitimate wife, and that's why they have claim to God's throne, you know? Uh, and that, that Jews and Christians, you know, from that, that lineage, and then the Muslims are doing Ishmael. Would you, um, how would you decide who gets that? Like the firstborn son or the firstborn son from a wife? Like that's difficult. And I think that's the entire reason that the whole um, conflict was born. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, and I understand that that's the the Muslim understanding. Um, I, I'm, I'm always curious about Abraham and that spiritual lineage. I mean, there's, there's a lot to think about. Well, what are you, what are you curious about? I mean, I think, um, I think that, uh, if you're a Christian, you look at, um, Abraham and you look at the fact that God tested him with Isaac and you see, that's clearly where the path lies, right? Because that's where the test was, right? The test was he was going to kill his firstborn natural son. An angel stopped him before he did it, but he was fully committed to do it, you know? Well, this 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 ties into myth and sacrament, right? So in the apostolic understanding, which again, Catholic and Orthodox, the idea is that the Old Testament and including these actions of Abraham prefigure and point to Christ. So the sacrifice of the son, obviously, the blood that was shed uh, of the animal, you know, Christ is the lamb, the holy spotless lamb. And then you also have this idea that Abraham is the spiritual father or the father of a people. And so in the sacramental understanding, it is that the sacraments as we know them also existed in a different form. And Abraham was in effect a priest. And Isaac was a priest the holy men, many of them in the Old Testament were priests. I think that Joshua and Moses were generals, uh, just like Jesus was a spiritual general. There's all these parallels that you can make. And the whole point of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. They were looking towards Jesus, just like we're looking back to Jesus. But we, because Jesus is a real historical figure, but we have the advantage of more fulfilled promises. Because I think, though, I think of that if you take the sacrifice of the lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb goes all the way back in the Old Testament to um, the sacrifice of a ram uh, or a goat for uh, uh, Azrael. Do you know who Azrael was? Yeah, the yeah, the Elohim, yeah. Right, right. So in order to appease him, um, the Jews cast all their sins into into that lamb or into that goat and sent him out into the wilderness and and Azrael would devour him. So I think that's pretty common for the the allegory that we're telling in Christianity is that God uh, Jesus was the Lamb, and He was sacrificed for our sins. So how is that not really um, the same thing that they were doing back then? Well, it might be helpful to think through mockery and corruption. So Satanists and Luciferians now do somewhat similar things as Catholic oh, yeah, Christians. I, I don't and, and they're, they're, but, 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 but the point is mockery, right? We have, 
a mockery of the Eucharist and the Mass now. And they also had demonic mockery of sacrifices that were pleasing to God back in the Old Testament times. Right. So we, the Satanists and Luciferians of this time have no history. I think we need to look back to uh, Baal and we need to look back to uh, Moloch and, and, and other uh, competing armies, you know, like uh, other beings. Like there's a, there's a big dearth in knowledge about historical beings that were existing here that were causing trouble for people like Azrael, like these names that are con that their very name conjures things that back in the day, they were true beings who were destroying things, you know? Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. So how if uh, they weren't banished necessarily, so they must still exist, right? Well, on that, Point, I would uh, recommend the books of uh, a Protestant scholar, Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. Um, the most important book is The Unseen Realm. And he talks about the difficulty of deciphering that. Um, we do have, you know, some really mysterious things that still exist that are spiritually relevant, but it's hard for us to go back into the midst of time and understand specifically um, Mount Hermon uh, in the northern part of Israel, which is now a ski resort. You know, that was, a, if you believe the text of the Old Testament, which Heiser does um, as a faithful Christian, you know, he talks about fallen Elohims, which are spiritual creations. So Baal, for example, Moloch, these are types of fallen Elohims. That doesn't mean that they were angels. It means that they were, because angel means messenger, uh, which is a job description. But they were a type of spiritual creation, obviously originally created to worship God and to point to God's glory, that fell. And there, were, there was more than one rebellion. Uh, Heiser identifies three. And evidently, these Elohims congregated around that mountain and interacted with human women. Now, that sounds completely outrageous, and it is outrageous. But if you're going to be a serious Christian, you have to take a look at those texts and say, you know, are predecessors in the faith really believed in these types of things. And that includes Moloch and Baal that you mentioned. Um, yes, right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm actually reading a book right now that um, supposes that all of these tribes mentioned in the Bible got their, their power from dragons. Have you heard of this? Well, if you read Emric, uh, which I absolutely recommend. No, uh, and, yeah. It's, it's not Emric. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off. Well, it's yeah. I it's a recent book, and it's very compelling. Well, uh, yeah. Well, what's the, what's the specific reference? Um, so he describes um, that uh, in, in Babylon, um, that they were um, in the corner of their tent. There was a bunch of smoke coming out, and that it's referenced in the Bible. But uh, his point was that um, they were pretending to have a dragon, and that's why they did the whole ruse. Um, I I really can't speak about it now. I. I I don't have any data to back it up or any resources to provide you with, but uh, we'll do that. Well, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to, to, to look at the book. Um, the reason I brought up Emmerich is because she, in a couple of passages, she, she describes creatures that are no longer with us that had uh, a physical presence and also a spiritual meaning. And Jesus drove a couple out, um, you know, basically large flying bats uh, that are much larger than our current wow, bats really? uh, drove them out of uh, what is currently uh, Lebanon. Um, I don't 
you know, I don't know much about that, but Emmerich definitely had visions of that. So, you know, a, the the dragon myth that we have could absolutely be rooted in, in something real and creatures go extinct uh, in history yeah. frequently. So, so that's basically the premise of the, uh, the authors and, and the author is a, uh, he, he's been involved in Christianity for a long time. He was a pastor and and uh, even part of the um, – I wish I had more to tell you, but he's, he's definitely um, high up in religion. And he was uh, – he had ideas about this, and he expressed them, and, uh, and it, it was – I'm reading it right now. It's pretty – he's laying it out, and, and I'm going to provide this in the, the next episode, but uh, – yeah, it, it seems it's very compelling. So, uh, you know, I have no idea. I, I have no doubt that there were um, draconian-like um, beings in the past. That yeah, well, we, we have uh, we have we do have reports um, in ancient sources of creatures that might be like that, which Jimmy Aiken has also talked about. And we also potentially have unicorns, you know, that are not necessarily like we would think of unicorns, but creatures that we would consider really strange, you know, evidently existed in the past. Can, can you tell me more about the unicorns? Like, what's that about? Like, well, there's, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's accounts um, by Roman historians that are worth looking into on animals that were not really familiar with and we're not quite sure what they are um and then uh to go back to emmerich uh whenever she talks about what the garden of eden was like which was a real place but not necessarily on earth which goes back to the elohim and the apostolic understanding and sacraments and all you know it's basically another uh, another uh, heaven or something in the heavens and then adam and eve were hurled into our space time uh there were there were creatures uh there that were really beautiful and um, had some sort of relationship to earth that we can't quite comprehend now but you know again in this apostolic sacramental understanding they're physical and also spiritual okay i i found the book i'm reading it's uh called echoes of eden and uh, it's by paul wallace have you ever heard of him no I'll, I'll look at it though i haven't no okay yeah no it's it's pretty cool so um you know what? Uh, I'm gonna let you uh, let, let talk about the next topic. Do you, do you have time? Uh, sure. What are you interested in? Uh, I'm just interested in whatever you're interested, in, man. Okay. Well, I was uh, I was gonna mention uh, something somewhat related to all of this, which is that the uh, the Catholic and the Orthodox and you know all of that. Um, there is very severe demonic infiltration. And I think it's really important for us to say out loud and to articulate and understand that fallen entities, demons, Satan's accusers are real. They're interacting. They exist. And they're oppressing constantly. And I think that oppression can mean anything from a thought that comes to you, like F that guy, if you see a homeless man, right? And you, you can say, you know, where did that come from? I didn't think that. Well, the, the Orthodox especially, and there's a writer that's really good. Uh, I would recommend uh, his name's Roosh, R-O-O-S-H-V.com. You can read his Orthodox writings. You know, he'll go into the history of uh, Orthodox church fathers talking about that, how demons and fallen Elohims can, um, can place thoughts in people's minds, which is a form of oppression. And then I think oppression can go all the way to something much heavier and uh, the phrase that I would use is gang stalking, which is a spiritual, you know, war that some people succumb to. And I think that we're oppressed all the time. And I think it's important because we are countering princes of the air, 
which is in the New Testament. These are earthly princes, you know, and there may be some similarity to the Old Testament, specifically Daniel 10. You know, what? who was the prince of Persia, right? Well, I think it was a real spiritual entity that was over Persia. Maybe good, maybe bad, I'm, I don't know. But, you know, these are princes of the air. And so whenever you say, for example, God damn it, if you say that, I think that that is drawing in real negative energy, real spiritual energy. And you are in line, so to speak, spiritually in line with these princes of the air. It's a curse. And then on the flip side of that, if you pray out loud, you are projecting blessings, right? You're not you're not blessing like a priest blesses because you're not ordained, but you are putting positive godly words out and that has real spiritual power. Hmm. Interesting. So where does that go? Like, what does that mean for everyday people? Are you saying that if you um, say words over somebody, that's going to happen? Well, what I'm saying is that words and actions have real spiritual consequences, which again goes back to this apostolic sacramental mindset. You know, conduits of grace can be physical. And so, so words, what you put out there into the world, just like your actions, have real spiritual consequences. The details of that, I don't know. Um, how that impacts someone's spiritual life, you know, I'm not equipped to say. I'm not holy enough to discern. But so is that is that related to like um, affirmations? Uh, and and by affirmations, I'm not really. Uh, what I'm speaking about is um, in oddly enough, Scott Dilbert, who or Scott Adams, who who drew Dilbert in one of his first books that he uh, put out. He at the, you know, we're, it's just a comic book. You know, you're looking at Dilbert comics. And at the end, he talks about how he made things happen in his life. And what he did was he wrote things down like 10 times, like uh, Scott Dilbert is going to get back into UC Dirt Berkeley and get a degree. And he wrote that down like uh, for for a few days or whatever or, or or weeks or whatever it is and eventually it happened so he by his written word wrote down things and they came to be and i kind of believe in that 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 writing like um not necessarily um just thinking about things but physically putting your words down onto paper um make things happen and i have no uh, you know, uh, I'm a scientist. I've go, got no science uh, mechanism for why that happens, um, but I think that I I believe in it. You know, I've got I've got no uh, empirical data that supports that. But well, yeah, it's 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 a spiritual exercise, right? Because you're putting a belief out into writing, out into the world. You're making something physical that is mental or spiritual that's inside you. And it makes sense that that will impact your conduct and your mindset. So I don't know exactly how it works, but again, I keep coming back to this point about who we are as humans, which is sacramental, right? So we are... When you say sacramental, you mean um, what? I mean specifically that what we are as humans is a reflection of the triune God. And that includes the physical. Obviously, we have bodies. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, had a physical body, right? So that's one part of you. You have something that is somewhat analogous to God the Father, which is your intellect, your mind, right? That you are that also. At the exact same time, you have your physical body, you have that. You have... So your, Catholicism is um, a, a philosophy. Well, it, it, it's many things, but I'm I'm expressing um, how we can understand God through ourselves because 
because we are created beings by the deity. And according right, these, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm, I, I what, no, I, it's just, just, yeah, just, just very briefly, God tells us that we're created in his image. So what does that mean? Well, we have bodies. Jesus Christ had a body. We have an intellect, we have a mind, and then we have speech. So you and me aren't seeing each other physically, but we are representing ourselves through our speech, right? So that is three different aspects that are also at the exact same time unitive. It is one. We are one, but we are three. So, so before before Jesus, and uh, there were many great men before Jesus, I think, um, how how did they get by without the triune experience? Like how did they? Well, it's, they, it's the exact same. It's the it's it? the exact same exact exact same principle, which is receiving grace and faith. Which I think Protestants would affirm that right, receiving grace and faith. So the details were obviously different because you know we have what we have, and before they had something that was analogous but the principle even though the details are different the principle is exactly the same which is looking towards christ looking back at christ but christ still exists because christ has always existed so it's it's kind of an abstract point but i do think it's helpful to think through how do we relate to God? Well, God gives us our graces. We walk in faith. We pray. We have these faithful actions. Is, and is your phone on a blanket yeah. or something? There's a lot of, a lot of disturbance oh. coming through. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm not sure. Um, no, no, it sounds much better now. Okay. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah I apologize. Uh, yeah, but basically the idea is that the principle is fundamentally the same which is God giving us his graces. We receive them in faith. Okay. I got it. Hey, have you seen the James Webb telescope stuff? What do you think about that, man? Um, yeah, I have seen the photos. It's incredible. And, uh, maybe the aliens will show up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I, I mean, maybe they're already here. Right. <laughs> well, I think you can. I think you can make a real good case, depending upon what your definition of alien is, right? Because Christians are obligated to believe that you've entertained angels unaware. Right. Number one, right? Sure. Yeah. Second, second, Christians are obligated to believe that fallen entities have interacted with humanity. We are required to believe that if you're serious. And then third, we believe that God has become physical at some point in the past. Sure. So all three of those things are extraterrestrial. They are not of the terrestrial environment that we are living in. So with, with that base principle, it's not that, much of a leap to say that there could be other creations like us that are embodied spirits, because that's what we fundamentally are. We are spirits that are embodied. So it's not that much of a stretch to say in whatever galaxy could that exist. You know, I mean, it's, it's just not a stretch. Well, I'm I'm thinking that like uh, looking at the, So there there was one of the first images from the James Webb telescope, which was a a photo in the dark sky that had – it had to be like 500 galaxies. Like in galaxies are collections of – like we live in a galaxy, and we can't even go beyond that. And these – there was a collection of like 500 galaxies where there'd be – there's innumerable planets there. And they said, look, if you want to see what – the James Webb telescope was looking at, take a grain of sand and hold it up to the night sky at arm's length. And that is the small part of that sky that the James Webb telescope was looking at. So when someone says that the number of planets 
out in space is greater than the number of grains of sand on the earth i believe them like there's so many planets out there and the 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 odds that are rolled that uh, a any life is going to be on them there's got to be life out there right the, the i think the odds are definitely in favor and yeah whether whether they can travel here or not you know i mean that's that's a whole other argument but the fact that you know i mean i don't think that we're alone i don't know if they've come here or not but uh you know i mean that's it's inarguable that if you're playing the odds it's it's your chances are better being uh, at being struck by lightning as a person on earth than there is of not finding life on the planets i think you know yeah, well, there, there's a way to connect some things here. Um, my understanding of Adam and Eve, which might be a little bit off uh, of a of a mainstream Christian understanding, and then you could also, you know, connect it to all of these reports of hybrids and you know what Linda Mountainhall talks about and other people who are researchers, you know, talk about aliens doing experiments and breeding programs and hybrids and things like that. Well, there's, there's a way to connect it, which is that Adam and Eve were in effect aliens who were hurled into earth after sin. And, and they had bodies obviously on earth, but they entered space time with many thousands of other humans on the earth right and then adam was the first man in that he was the first man of the sacraments adam was a priest and he founded jerusalem so jesus is the son of man because adam was the first man jesus is the fulfillment of the sacraments adam was the first priest of the sacraments so in that understanding if you have that mindset, aliens could definitely exist and interact, right? Um, yeah, I definitely could understand that. Huh. Interesting. So it's it's always important to have this sacramental worldview. I know I, I always come back to that. And I think it has a lot I think it has a lot of explanatory power. And it's really essential to at least, you know, read what they are. And it's always curious to me when I talk to Protestants, you know, they don't really have a good explanation for Genesis and for Adam and Eve. And the reason why that's important is because I think it points to, to the reality of the sacraments. Got it. That sounds good. Um. All right. Uh, any last closing points you want to make, Jonathan? No, I'm going to plug in the phone because I'm I'm getting low. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for being on the first. Episode. All right. Yeah, you got it. We'll do. We'll do it again. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.